You know, at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, he, he tells us why he wrote that account. In uh, uh, John chapter 20, he tells us that he wrote it for us to believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ. And then at the end of the Gospel account in chapter 21, he tells us this. He says, and there's so many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Well, one of those instances that's not recorded for us in the gospel accounts is found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Paul tells us something that, you know, we don't know the time, we don't know the place, we don't know the context. But Paul says that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a story story of a congregation who decided that they wanted to do a one month long class on giving. And so the preacher prepared eight lessons, you know, eight sermons to be preached during this month and eight Bible classes. So a total of 16 lessons on giving. And then he he gathered all the teachers around and he gave them the information and said, uh, you know, basically we're going to be studying giving for the next month. Well, some of them were wondering, are you going to have enough material to cover giving for one month? Now, now, they were assured that this wasn't a tactic of the, the congregation to help raise uh, the, the contribution or to meet a budget, but it was to encourage a spiritual growth within the congregation. And surely there couldn't be more than enough verses to cover 16 lessons. Well, after this month-long focus, most began to realize that they could have pushed this out to a whole year because of what the Bible has to say on giving and stewardship and on the contribution, they could study this for a whole year and never touch the same verse twice. And that's true. Uh, One out of every five to six verses in the New Testament alone is on the act of giving. Approximately about a half of Jesus's parables are on giving. And so there's a plethora of material here in the Bible that talks about giving. And it's pretty good chance that if that much is here recorded for us in the scriptures, that God wants us to know about it. And God wants us to deal with it and to pay attention and to give it right. You know, but lessons on giving sometimes can be a little apprehensive. You know, oh, no, here comes the sermon on giving again. Some may be thinking, but many begin to wonder, you know, what's the preacher going to say? I need to give up this morning. You know, and preachers have been, as I've uh, understood, have been ridiculed and even uh, let go because of their sermons on preaching or on giving. And I'm going to cover a little bit about that next week, just kind of a hint uh, of a story that I'll give next week. And I'm not planning on doing a year-long study on giving, but this morning what I'd like to discuss is the act of giving itself. And again, maybe your minds go straight to the contribution, and that's fine. But we're going to be talking more of a broad sense of giving as far as the contribution or maybe giving of ourself or our time and our energy. But again, we're going to discuss the act of giving this afternoon after the potluck when we come back around noon. We're going to talk about an instance in Jesus's ministry where he has something to say about giving in Luke chapter 21. And then next week, next week's focus, I want to really focus more on the act of worship of giving. You know, not too many times do I give my thesis statement in a, a lesson. Sometimes, uh, you know, I won't tell you this is the thesis statement or, uh, or maybe I won't give it at all. But, but I want to read it to you here this morning. This is the thesis statement of this lesson. This is what I want you to take home with you. That everything belongs to God. Therefore, we shall be 
cheerful givers. Now in, excuse me, in Psalm 50, verse 10, the psalmist said of God, For every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And before we can adapt and understand the biblical principle of giving, you know, we need to understand that one simple, all-encompassing principle. That it's yours, God. It's not mine. And once we do, we become joyous and cheerful, and giving is a blessing to all. You know, it's not the amount of the gift or the ability to give that God loves, but the desire to give and the attitude one displays in his giving. See, God loves giving people and those who give with the right attitude. What was read for us here a little while ago, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we're going to notice in this lesson here uh, several reasons why we should be cheerful givers. And the first one, we've already mentioned this a little bit, but it is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, this is from Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Who here does not want to be more blessed in life? Again, who does not want to be more blessed? Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. In the Proverbs, Proverbs 11, verse 24, Solomon said, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one withholding what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. And then he says in 28, verse 27, He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What about biblical giving? The act of giving is a gift in of itself. The act of giving is a gift in of itself. See, if you receive something, you're simply receiving. But if you are giving something now, instead of me being blessed by a gift, I am giving something. I am uh, blessing you with a gift, but I'm also receiving a blessing of the act of giving. And see, when we understand biblical giving, it won't be a burden. Again, it is a gift. It is something we will want to do. Now, there are some things that, that point to what is biblical giving. Number one, you know, it's not something to draw attention to ourselves. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, when Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't, left your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right? When you do your giving, give it in secret. Um, biblical giving does not show off. It doesn't say, hey, look what I'm giving. Because right? as Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees, they loved to blow their trumpets uh, when they were in public. Hey, look at me. Look what I'm giving. In the story that we're going to cover tonight, uh, there's an instance when you go into the temple and you place your collection uh, in the, the temple treasury in sort of these inverted trumpets. So, you know, they kind of look like that a little bit. And the harder you throw the money in or the more money you throw in, the louder the noise is. Well, that's what the Pharisees love to do. They love that noise. They love making that noise because that drew people's attention to them. And so that people would say, hey, this guy is a giver. This guy is giving a lot of money. He must be something special. But Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He also says that it needs to be done freely. Notice here in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And again, this verse is not a verse simply on giving of the contribution, giving of funds, but it's a, a, a principle on giving. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Notice Jesus says this. He says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. 
for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. You know, Jesus is sort of contrasting a couple of people in the marketplace. You know, you could go to the marketplace and one vendor, if you wanted to buy some maybe grain, he might scoop it up and put it into your, uh, your bag there and you take it on home. But there might be another vendor who will scoop up that grain, pack it down a little bit, put some more on top, put it in your bag and maybe push it down in your bag a little bit more to make more room and scoop some more grain in uh, into your bag and thus give you some more grain. That's what Jesus describes uh, God's giving is like. He presses it down. He shakes it together. It runs over. I remember a few years ago when I tried to uh, teach this this illustration to some young children. It was right around this time of year, uh, a trunk or treat event. And so I brought a couple of kids up front and I I I had one with a bag and I gave him some candy. Just, you know, poured the candy into his bag. And then another child came up with a bag, same bag. But this time I poured the candy in pressed it down really far, and then stuck some more in. Well, do you think the kids thought that uh, one kid got more candy than the other? Well, they did. But that's how God gives. He pushes it down. He presses it down. He shakes it together so that it overflows. And that should be part of our nature, that we want to give freely just like that. Biblical giving is also simple. In Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul is writing about some gifts that, that Christians have. Some of these are, are miraculous and no longer around today. But most of these gifts that he lists are things that people are still gifted with today. And one of those he mentions in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, is the, the gift of giving. He says, he who has this gift, he who gives, give liberal, liberally. Giving is a gift to some people. You know, some, better, some people are better givers than others. Right? Is our kids probably understand that uh, you know, it'd be better to get a gift from mom than dad because she's going to probably put more thought into it and maybe spend a little bit more than dad. Some people are just better givers than others. That word liberally, to give liberal, you know, we might think that it means generous. But if you're reading from the King James this morning in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, I love the translation that the King James says because it says, with simplicity. When you give, give with simplicity. That means it's uncomplicated. It's with sincerity of heart. It's unfolded or not many folds. Uh, You might take a piece of paper and fold it up and it's going to be a little bit complicated to read, right? Because you're going to have to uh, unfold it to read it. Well, our giving should be unfolded. It should be simple, uh, clear and obvious, right? Uh, Nowhere to hide. And then finally, cheerful. Our, our, our giving should be cheerful. And again, we mentioned that here in this verse uh, in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 35, and also 2 Corinthians verse 9 and 7. It's not an obligation to give. It, it, we're not doing it under compulsion. We're not doing it grudgingly. But it's because I want you to have this gift. And when you have these four attributes together, you know, giving becomes a gift. Again, it's more blessed to give to receive. When I'm doing it not to draw attention to myself, when I'm doing it freely, when I'm doing it simply, and when I'm doing it cheerful. That's one of the reasons God wants us to be a cheerful giver. The second thing we want to notice is we want to be cheerful givers because it shows our love for our Heavenly Father. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for a moment. But before we get there, think of a young child who goes out into the yard and maybe wants to give you know, mom a gift. And so they pick all of the dandelions on the ground, you know, and they're making a bouquet for mom. And they, they rush into mom and say, hey, mom, look at these beautiful flowers I've given, I'm given to you. 
That's how God wants us to give. Do we show that much joy when we're giving to our Heavenly Father? Lord, I want you to have this gift. Well, notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 5, notice what Paul here writes about this, uh, this church in particular, or these churches. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but the first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine constitute two chapters on giving. You know, there's a lot of information in those two chapters about giving. But here Paul's bringing up to the Corinthian church, a group of churches in Macedonia. You know, Macedonia, if you can think of the map of that area, would have been churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, sort of in the northern uh, region of where Paul ministered. And he's talking about how these churches in their deep poverty implored Paul to give, to let them give. You know, at this time, there is a great famine going on in the land, especially in Palestine and Israel. And Christians all over the world knew about this famine, and they were encouraged to help support this church, uh, the church, especially the church in Jerusalem. And so as Paul is going around to all these congregations, he's collecting these funds. And we'll read more about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 next week. But he's focusing in on these churches in Macedonia. You know, these are churches that you and I would not expect to be giving churches. They were not exactly what we would say were uh, fiscally uh, sound congregations. Matter of fact, they were probably worse off than the church in Jerusalem. But look at the love of God that they had for their brethren. Brethren that they didn't even know who were living in Jerusalem. They gave beyond their ability, verse 3 says. They, they freely gave of their own accord. Verse 4 says they implored Paul to take it. They implored him. See, they weren't questioning Paul's qualifications to take this money uh, to these churches. He wasn't asking if those churches are truly deserving of help. They, they weren't asking how much is going to be left over from uh, this collection. Uh, they didn't, you know, try to give it but still hold on to it. You know, kind of tell them, you know, how they should spend that money. But they implored Paul to take it. We want those brethren to have it. And then verse 5 again tells us that they gave themselves to the Lord first. The story of a, a girl who's sitting on the end of the row as the collection plates are being passed. And as she gets the collection plate, she stands up and gets in the aisle, lays the plate on the ground, and steps in it. Well, the usher says, uh, girl, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And she said, well, I just learned in Bible class that we need to give ourselves to the Lord. And she was literally trying to give herself to the Lord. They gave, we, they gave themselves to the Lord first. You know, when you cook a meal for someone, you're giving to the Lord. When you take someone out to eat, you're giving to the Lord. When you're helping a stranger who may uh, be down on their luck and need a little gas money or something, you're giving to the Lord. And our giving gets less complicated when we're envisioning ultimately who we are giving to, and that's God. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. We need to be good stewards of the funds that we are entrusted with. The Bible talks about that in many places. We need to make smart and prayerful decisions. But we, again, can show our love to our Heavenly Father by how we give. 
If you're still in 2 Corinthians 8, look at the very last verse, verse 24. And notice what Paul says here. Again, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 24. He says to those church, that church in Corinth, he says, Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Does your giving say, I love you, Lord? Paul said to the Corinth church, show how much you love them by how much you are giving to them. How much do you love the Lord in your giving? This morning, number three, we want to notice that we need to give with a cheerful heart because God promises to bless the cheerful giver. I'm going to go to the book of Malachi for this. And if you'd like to turn along with me, Malachi, especially chapter three, you know, this is the last book in our Old Testament. This is the last prophet who is going to speak before there's going to be about 400 years of silence uh, when Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, 400 years of silence. And this prophet of God, Malachi, he is preaching to the Lord's people about this, their state of apathy and indifference that they're having uh, right now with God. See, there's a lot of troubles going on here, a lot of issues. He First, he talks to the priests and he tells them, you know, why are you bringing your leftovers to sacrifice to me? See, the, the priests, they were bringing the blind and the lame and the sick animals to sacrifice to God. And God says in this book, he says, is that not evil? Would you offer these things to your governor, yet you're offering them to me? Of course your governor wouldn't accept them, and why should I? You know, they were also breaking their marriage vows in, in this, uh, Malachi chapter 2. Again, God was getting on them about that. Uh, the people were complaining, saying, God, you're not punishing evil. You're, you're just letting those things go. But look what we get to in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Notice with me, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me of the whole nation of you. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. See, the people are robbing God of tithes and offerings. And God tells them here that you need to start giving as I have commanded you to give. And then he says, test me, try me. If you go ahead and start giving like you were commanded to give, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour out blessings for you until it overflows. And that's simply not just a Old Testament principle, but we see this in the New Testament as well. Have you accepted God's challenge this morning to give? You know, we just looked at that verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Again, Jesus says, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The act of giving. God promises to bless the cheerful giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, which was read for us by Daniel this morning, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, this isn't necessarily talking about uh, our giving as in giving back to the church in a monetary form, but it's our giving that we give back to the Lord. These principles, if we are, by our standard of measure, if we are giving, then God is going to bless us. He is going to return that measure to us. The principle of giving. God promises to bless the generous and cheerful giver. And that's why we want to give cheerfully. 
Number four this morning is that it frees us from the bondage of greed. Again, did you notice in our reading in Malachi chapter 3, verse 9, that God said that you are cursed with a curse, Israel, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you? You are cursed with a curse. God's telling his people they are cursed because they were not giving. Flip back a couple of more uh, chapters in the minor prophets to the book of Haggai. Again, that's only a couple more uh, before Malachi. In the book of Haggai, here's another instance that we don't really read too much. Another minor prophet. But Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Notice what God says through the prophet Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, which the house, while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but because, but behold, it comes too little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. See, we're at a period of time that God's house, the temple, needs to be rebuilt. And the people know that, but they've got their own construction projects to worry about, right? Their own homes, their own paneled homes. That's where they're pouring their time and energy and money in. And did you see again that God in this, these passages placed the curse upon the people? You know, they could not make their ends meet. The work, the food, wages, it was never enough. I love that passage where it talks about they're putting money in a purse with holes. Right? As, as soon as they earn money, they put it in their purse and it just drops right out because they're spending it at a, at a rate that they just can't keep up with. You know, you and I can end up that way as well. Always spending, right? Just enough money to cover our bills. You know, sometimes we have to put things on the credit card because we just don't have the funds. Well, God says, where am I in your budget? Am I the first line item of expenses? Or are you just simply giving to me whatever is left? God asked the Malachi, will a man rob God? And the answer to that question was yes. And again, cheerful giving frees us from that curse. It also frees us from the cruel master of money. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth at the same time. Are you familiar with the, the, the medical term cirrhosis of the liver? It's a thing where probably usually it's due to alcoholism where it hardens the liver so it can't do its job properly and uh, the toxins in the body just can't be filtered out. Well, some brethren, some are dealing with not cirrhosis of the liver, but cirrhosis of the giver. The, the poison of materialism and greed flows. Things, things are the reason they live. Right? Contentment in life are in things and stuff. And companies know this. We live in a culture where companies know this. Right? It's not wrong to have uh, an iPhone, but companies know that, or any sort of cell phone, but companies know that 
you know, if they bring out a new model every one or two years, that people are going to be lining up to purchase it, right? Because they need that. But Jesus, again, said in Matthew chapter 5, this time, again, on the Sermon on the Mount, notice the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 39, that we need to be people who have the ability to share, that aren't tied down to things. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And Jesus says, don't be tied up in material things. Share, give, store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. The story of a, a, a rich uh, banker, very successful, great salary, wore the best clothing, had the nicest car. His prized possession was his $25,000 Rolex that he wore on his arm. And as he's driving in the mountainous regions, a, a boulder comes down uh, and forces him to have to swerve. But because of that, he goes into a deep ditch. And he's knocked out for a little while. He's unconscious. And a man pulls over and helps him, calls 911, uh, gets him to uh, his feet, helps him to survey what's going on. And instead of thanking the man for saving his life and helping him, he simply says, oh, my car, my car. Well, the man says, well, sir, that's not the worst news. You see, while you fell, while you were going down in that tumbling in that accident, you lost your left arm. The banker said, oh, my Rolex. My Rolex was on that arm. You see, sometimes that's how we feel, right? When we are living a life of materialism and greed, and that's all we can think of are those possessions. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, the, the parable of the sower, you remember this? That the, some seed fell on good ground, uh, but, but in other three instances, it fell on bad ground, it fell on rocky ground, and it fell on thorny ground. And those thorns represented the things in our lives that choked out the word of God. And Jesus goes on later to say that those things can be materialism. It can be wealth. Those things choke out the word of God so that there's no room in your heart to be cheerful givers because all that's on your mind are possessions and things. And so again, give cheerfully or giving cheerfully frees us from the bondage of greed. One more point this morning, and this one will be short. Why should we be cheerful givers is because God can use our gifts to accomplish much. You never know what God is going to do with your gift. You know, there are a lot of things that we do here specifically, like support missionaries in uh, Guyana and Suriname and uh, other places in the world, places that you and I will never, ever visit. Yet the gifts that we give help spread the gospel message in those areas. They're saving souls in those areas. We support orphanages and children's homes, uh, you know, giving to these organizations that, again, that these children may never have a chance of hearing the gospel, but they're now hearing the gospel and being cared for at the same time. You can support a preaching school, a preaching student, and train men to go and preach the gospel. Uh, supporting the radio work that we do here that reaches you know, thousands of homes. Supporting you know, the things that we do like yesterday, like the food pantry and the clothing closet. You know, those provide needs for God's people that may need that type of assistance. 
Well, certainly God does not need you and I to do those things, but he can bless us and he can bless our gifts if we do that. You see, every dollar that I give to support these works is a heavenly investment. No one can take those things away from me. I'm storing up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said. And so as we uh, evaluate our giving this morning, as we conclude this lesson, let's ask ourselves, are we cheerful givers? Again, we know the reasons why. Do we truly understand that it is more blessed to give than receive? Who does not want to receive more blessings? But we need to do it freely and simply and cheerfully without strings attached. Again, it's a gift to give. I love you, Lord, and I want you to have this. Again, that should be our uh, attitudes in this life. You promise to bless me if I do these things, but you also promise to free me from the bondage of materialism and greed if I put you first. And again, we have no idea how our gifts can multiply uh, in our giving. And we've got to change our attitudes of what am I going to have to give up to God's view that, again, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But also remember, it's all God's anyways. If God asked you this morning to give every single cent you own back to him, would you? Could you? You know, it was asked of the rich young ruler. That was a man who uh, was living a good moral life. He was following the commandments of God. And Jesus said, good, those things are good. But now I need you to do one thing because he knew the man's heart. He knew the things that were inside the man. And he he said to the rich young ruler, go and sell all of your possessions and then come and follow me. But we know the results of that. The rich young ruler went away grieving because he had much things. He had a love for those things. This morning, are we cheerful givers? Of course, we, can, we know that, that God gives. Whenever we read through the scriptures, we know that God is a giver. We know that Jesus gives. We know that the Holy Spirit gives. And of course, God gave the greatest gift possible to all of us this morning, and that was his son. And the opportunity for you and I to come to his son in faith, in baptism, for the remission of our sins. And this morning, as we offer the invitation... If anyone here this morning is ready to put on Christ in baptism, we would love the opportunity to help you with that. Or if you'd like to study about it more, again, we would love to sit down and study with you what the scriptures say about becoming a Christian. Or uh, this morning, if you're a member here or a faithful Christian who is looking for encouragement and and support, uh, or if you need to maybe ask for forgiveness of the brethren here as well, again, we would love the opportunity to pray for you, to help you in a public fashion. Please let us know as together we stand and sing.